Hello, friends. Welcome to Read 'em and Weep. It me, your host, Sammy. Let's uh, not pussyfoot around. Let's get right into it. As always, we are going to be going over two hands, one that I played good, one that I played bad. So first hand. So we are playing 2-3-5 at the California Grand in Northern California. We are playing seven-handed. So we open to 20 under the gun with pocket fours. The player in third position, under the gun three, is a prop player. If you don't know what a prop player is, they're basically a player that is employed by the house to keep games going. So they go from game to game, whatever game needs a player, they play in it. I tend to not think very much of props. In my experience, they're not very good. They're just a lot of the times nitty players who are just trying to play solid and eke out a couple of big blinds an hour in addition to the hourly that the house plays. And like, if they were really good, they wouldn't play as a prop. Like they'd play in the games that they want to play. They'd sing the songs that they want to sing. They wouldn't let the house tell them to like go play three, six limit for three hours. It's just so brutal. But the player under the gun three is a prop and he is the worst kind of prop. He is a short stacking scum prop. Uh, he buys in for the minimum, which at the two, three, five, um, by the way, the, in Northern California, there's a button blind in a lot of games. So it's just a three, five game with $2 on the button, but he buys in for the minimum 300 bucks. People that buy in for the minimum are just the scum on an outhouse seat. If you don't have the money to buy in for the max at a table IMO, you shouldn't be playing the game. But he goes where the house tells him to go. So he buys in for 300 and he's actually doubled up to a little more than 600 because he jammed over a term bet with four to the flush and a gutter. And the dude snapped him off. The dude had bottom set and the prop had four to the flush and a gutter and rivers the gutter. So he's doubled up to a little more than 600. He's under the gun three and he three bets me to 60. Folds back to me. It's 40 more for me to call. And I think this is a good spot to call. So we have about 15 times my call left in his stack, right? It's 40 for me to call. He has about 600 left in his stack behind. And you want to be pretty careful about stack sizes when you're trying to set mine, especially out of position. You generally want at least 15x. Because think about it, like you hit a set every eight and a half times that you go for it, but you don't always stack somebody when you hit the set. In fact, you stack people a lot less frequently when you hit a set than you probably think. There's so many things that can go wrong. Like the guy can have ace king. Say you have pocket fours, it comes 10, nine, four. The guy doesn't stack off. He didn't hit anything. Um, he could have pocket kings and an ace flops. He could have pocket queens and a king flops. He could have ace king, but it comes three of the same suit and he's scared of the flush and it doesn't happen. Or two of the flush flop and then on the turn the third one comes and he gets scared and it freezes the action like there's so many ways that you cannot stack somebody when you hit a set that you actually need them to have a decent amount of depth before you start set mining especially at a position where you can't really control the geometry of the pot as well but i think here it makes a lot of sense because he should have a really strong range like think about it I'm opening under the gun, so I should have a strong range. So when he three bets me, he should have a really strong range. And he's kind of a you know nitty-ass prop scum, so whatever. But he should be really weighted toward the top end of his range. And that's what you want him to have. You want him to have a really strong hand. You want him to have pocket aces or pocket kings because you want him to have a hand that can't get away when and if you hit a set. So I think calling here is great. And just kind of a side note, I would fold like six, five suited, 
right? I have pocket fours, but I would fold six, five suited. And I think a lot of people, a lot of players kind of lump small pairs and suited connectors together because they're both cracking hands. You play them both to crack big hands, but they operate in very different ways. Like small pairs are very binary. Either you flop a set or you don't. Whereas small pairs, everyone thinks, oh yeah, I play six, five suited. I'm going to flop trips or two pair or straight, something like that. That almost never happens. Like it rarely, rarely happens. More often you flop a little bit of something, right? You flop middle pair with a backdoor straight draw and a backdoor flush draw. Basically suited connectors are hands that generally take multiple streets to realize what they're going to do. They're a hand that really benefits from playing across multiple streets. And if you're not deep enough, you can't really get there. There's not enough money behind on the river to make it worth chasing that hand because you need the implied odds. You need to get paid off a big amount when you hit your hand. Um, the express odds, the direct odds generally aren't there. So you also want to be really careful about like playing bigger pots with suited connectors at a position. Again, position is such an important part of this game, you know, that, that you want to call a lot less frequently out of position. It's just way harder to, to play the hand and realize your equity and get paid off and control the pot, the size of it, all that stuff. So I've spent enough time on pre-flop, but bottom line is I would fold a suited connector here, but I think calling a small pair is good. Back to the beginning. We open pocket fours to 20 under the gun. The scummy prop, three bets us to 60. It folds back around to us and we call the 40. So there's 120 in the pot, 600 effective behind. And the flop comes jack nine five with two clubs. I do not have a club. So I have pocket fours on jack nine five, two clubs. I check and now the prop checks, checks back. And I think we can learn a lot from his check back here. It effectively caps his range in a lot of ways because if he had an overpair, aces, kings, queens, he would be betting it like all the time. If he had ace, jack, he would betting it all the time. If he, I don't think he three bets fives, maybe he three bets nines, but if he three bet nines, you know, he flops middle set on a board with straight draws and a flush draw, he's betting it. So when he checks back, it really effectively caps him. And that's something really important to keep in mind as the hand goes along. So it's jack, nine, five, two clubs. It goes check, check. The turn comes another jack. So jack, nine, five, jack. And I decide to lead here. And I think this is a really good lead because A, I generally have the best hand. If he doesn't have an overpair and he doesn't have a jack, I mean, a lot of the times he has missed overs like ace, king, ace, queen type hands. So I want to protect the equity of my hand. And it, it's not just, say he's got ace-king, it's not just three aces and three kings that he can hit. Uh, because the board is paired and I have an underpair, the board can also pair and counterfeit my hand on the river. So he's got close to 30% equity if he has a hand like that. So I definitely think betting is best here. And the other part is that I am almost never going to get raised when I bet here. Because we've taken all these great hands out of his range, and he just, especially, he can't really raise without a boat or a jack, and he just doesn't have those hands, as we talked about. And I have a lot more jacks than he does. It makes a ton of sense for me to have a hand like King Jack suited, or Jack 10 suited, or Ace Jack, or, you know, whatever. I just have a lot more jacks the way this hand has been played than he does. So when I bet, 
he folds a lot and he can just never raise. So I think it's a good time to bet. And I do, I bet 70 into 120 and he calls. Interesting. So the river comes in offsuit 10. So it is Jack nine, five with two clubs offsuit, Jack offsuit 10. I check here. Uh, this is an easy check. Worse hands are not going to call me. Obviously, uh, better hands are almost certainly not going to fold. So I, I check here. And now he does something interesting. He stuffs it in my fucking face. He stuffs 500 bucks into a pot of 260. So he 2x pot shoves. And I'm sitting there like, oh, what? And I really start going back through the hand. I go into the tank. I start thinking back through the hand. And I think, okay, he just, he, he really doesn't have a jack. He really doesn't have a flop set that turned into a boat. What can he be doing this for value with? Just a ton of hands don't make sense. But there is a hand that definitely makes sense, and that's pocket tens. Pocket tens makes a ton of sense in his spot. He would three bet it pre-flop. Uh, he certainly could check back the flop when an overcard came. I bet the turn he calls. I think that's fine. And then the river boats him up, and he stuffs it. Um, trying to get max value. I think that makes a lot of sense. One of the problems for him is that there's only three combos of pocket tens left, right? There's one on board. There's only three ways he can have pocket tens. Could he have pocket jacks also for top quads? It's possible. Top set of jacks on the flop could check back. I think it bets a lot, but I think it could check back um, and then hit quads on the turn, just call, and then go for max value on the river. I think that makes sense. So, Really, if we take the over pairs and all the other the all the jacks and and all the you know under sets out, there's basically four combos of value he can have. He can have four sets of tens and one combo of quad jacks. But remember, as we kind of started ranging him on the flop, we thought he was very weighted toward ace king or ace queen. And there's a lot of ways that he can have those hands. There's 16 ways that he can have ace king. And if you, if you don't know how to do combos, it's actually super easy. There's four aces and four kings. You multiply it. That's 16. If you have ace king and there's an ace on board, now there's only three aces left and four kings available. Now there's 12 ways to make it. It's very, it, it's super simple. So there's 16 ways he can have ace king here. There's 16 ways he can have ace queen. Now that's assuming that he always three bets those hands and then he always 2x bluff shoves them on the river. I don't think that's true but there's 32 combos of that. Say he only plays it that way half the time. We'll give him 16 total combos of those hands. He has four value hands and 16 bluff hands. And again, this isn't in exact science, but it, it costs 500 for me to win 750. Um, I'm getting laid three to two. And he's bluffing in my estimation. This is obviously just guesswork, but he's bluffing 80% of the time. And I need him to be bluffing like 40% of the time. So yeah, I just think I should be calling here. I think that he just doesn't have enough value and he's probably got too many bluffs. So I think about it, I tank, and I call off the 500 bucks with fifth pair. And he turns over, ace-queen offsuit, and we scoop the pot. Pretty proud of this hand. Um, you know, it, it feels pretty easy thinking about it off the table that... He just has too many bluffs here. But in moment, it's one thing to go through this thought process 
And on top of that, you have to have the courage to actually call like 500 bucks into a pot of 250. It's a lot of money. It's a big bet for this game. Um, and you look like an idiot and you feel like an idiot when you're wrong. And the one thing that I think I did really well in this hand is I ranged my opponent as the hand went on. And when I'm going really well, that's what I do. Like I range my opponent as the hand progresses when I'm not going well. And what I used to do a lot uh, before I got more experienced at poker is I would kind of do all the work at the end. I'd just go through the hand and then I'd be faced with a really tough decision. And I'd be like, oh man, what happened? He, he re-raised pre-flop. And then what hands does he do that with? And then on the flop, he ch- what is he? And, and I'm trying to recreate it and it's very pressure filled. But when you do it in real time, as the hand goes on, that's when I think I'm playing my best. And I think it's a really good skill to learn. So, um, so yeah, so I did it in this hand. I'm really proud that I was able to make the call that I thought through it effectively. And then also that I had the courage at the end to make the call. And it's also one of those cool things. Everybody saw me show up, show down the fours and win the hand calling this big ass all in bluff on the river. And they're like, Whoa, you know, don't fuck with that guy. Um, so that was pretty cool. It was a pretty cool hand. Proud of this one. Congrats to myself. Uh, Obama putting a medal on himself dot meme. So yeah, so that's the hand I played well. Now let's talk about a hand that I really did not play well. All right, hand number two. This hand honestly is so embarrassing. Like I, I consider not putting it on the podcast. It's just so brutal, but you know, gotta gotta do it in the spirit of transparency. So here we go. We're playing a bomb pot. Uh, if you're not familiar with what a bomb pot is, a bomb pot is when all the players at the table put in a predetermined amount of money and everyone sees the flop and then you play the hand normally. So uh, at the California Grand, we play $25 bomb pots. So everyone puts in 25, you see the flop, and then you play the hand normally. And you usually do this every dealer change, whatever that looks like. Like here, it's every half hour. New dealer, you play a bomb pot. And it's just a fun thing. Uh, it's very gambly, this and that. I actually prefer the pre-flop ante to be a little bit smaller. Like 25 if there's 10 players at a table, that makes a $250 pot when most players have like a thousand-ish behind. There's just not as much playability. Like you reach the leverage point, leverage just being like, am I going to be all in or not? Uh, you reach those leverage points a lot sooner. So I actually prefer when bomb pots are like 20-ish, but you know, I don't make the rules. Here it is. Uh, also, a house rule at the California Grand, a gentleman's agreement, is that the winner of the bomb pot shows his hand. So even if you bet people out, you always show at the end, just something we do at the card house. Here we go. We do a bomb pot. There's nine players. So 225 in the pot going to the flop. And we see a six deuce deuce rainbow flop. So the first two players check. And then the third player, who's a pretty good player, he's a little gambly, a little aggressive. He leads for 130. Now the player next to him, uh, this tighter Asian guy calls the 130. So this is interesting. The guy calling the 130, he should have a really tight range, right? He should not have a hand like even even 6x. Like he shouldn't have 8-6 because there's still like, what, six, seven players to act behind him? I mean, it, it, and overcards are going to come. 
on future streets. It's going to be very hard for him to get to the end. Anyone behind him could have a better hand. I mean, it's just it's just a spot where you're going to lose money with most 6x. Like you might want to play like a6 or king 6 or something like that, but in general, he's got a pretty strong hand here. So the third player leads for 130, the fourth player calls the 130 and it folds around to me and I look down at king deuce. I, my friends, have flopped gin ball. It's six deuce, deuce, rainbow. I have king deuce. I almost always have the best hand here. So good. I mean, it's just amazing when you flop gin in a bomb pot and two people have already put in a bunch of money. So it's 130 to me. Obviously, we're continuing. It's just a matter of if we're going to continue through a call or a raise. And I think both have merit. I think calling is slightly better here. And the reason I think it is, is because a raise really signifies that you have a really strong hand, like I have a deuce at minimum, people are going to respect that. Like in bomb pots, everyone's afraid of somebody else having the nuts because anyone can have any hand. Everybody's uncapped. So they will literally know that I have a deuce if I raise here. And that means they're going to fold out their 6x. They're going to fold out over pairs like pocket eights or even pocket tens. Maybe somebody with aces just like can't fold it. But like in general... Uh, You're just going to get a ton of folds, but you are going to cold deck somebody if they have the case deuce. So that's the benefit. But I think calling here is just better because it keeps everybody's range wide. It, you know, kind of disguises the strength of my hand. And there's really just not that many cards that I'm worried about. It's six deuce, deuce, rainbow. I have king deuce. Like there's just not that much that can come on the turn that, that really makes my hand sad. So I decide to call the 130. I'm also in position. So I'm going to have the option to really manipulate the pot moving forward. So I think calling here is the best play, and I do call the 130. So now something interesting happens. The first player who had let off with a check, and then the third player had bet, the first player now calls. He overcalls. So he checks and then calls 130. And I think this is really interesting because he can basically only have two kinds of hands, in my opinion. He can have a monster and he's trapping with it, or he can have a really weak, like gutter draw, like it's six deuce deuce. So maybe he could have like four, three or five, four with a backdoor flush draw, a bunch of people will put a bunch of money in the pot. And he's like, you know what? I'll call once to try to drill my gutter. But I I don't think he has that many other hands here. You know, it's just so hard when three other people have shown interest in the bomb pot. Like you got to know somebody's got something, but he calls. So really interesting. So we go to the turn and I think there's 745 in the pot and the turn comes the queen of spades, offsuit queen. So six deuce, deuce, queen. And again, I have king deuce. First player checks. Now the third player who originally was the guy who bet on the flop, he checks. And now the fourth player checks too. And it checks around to me. And I think this is just a slam dunk bet. I almost always have the best hand here. The pot is pretty big. It's 745. I think I have, there's varying stack sizes, but I have about a pot size bet left. And I think a small bet here uh, is really good. I think betting like 250 is good here. Just try to catch somebody up. Let somebody with the case deuce check raise all in, snap him off if he does so. And then make it really tough for somebody who's got like pocket jacks or pocket tens to throw their hand away. But I don't do that, guys. I check back. Why did I check back? In, in the moment, I was thinking a couple of things. I was thinking, okay, if I bet 
it's going to be really hard for anybody without a deuce to call me. And if they do have a deuce, we're going to get it all in on the river anyways. And I was a little afraid of somebody slow playing the true nuts, somebody having like pocket sixes for a boat, somebody having ace deuce or queen deuce that now made a boat. Uh, There are definitely hands that beat me. And in a bomb pot, they can be out there. So it was a little bit of bad logic and then a little bit of monsters under the bed. It was just really bad play. And so I checked back. Kind of unforgivable. The river comes the single worst card in the deck. It is an offsuit six. It pairs the six. So it's six, deuce, deuce, queen, six. And this fucks my hand. Anyone with a six now beats me. Really, really unlucky card. Really, really bad. So the first guy checks. The next guy who was the guy in third position, who was the guy who originally led the flop, now bets 375. The guy next to him folds and it comes to me. And this is just an awful spot. I mean, it makes so much sense. It just makes all the sense in the world that this guy has a six here. Like, think about it. It came six, deuce, deuce. It checked to him. He made a feeler bet to see if he could fold everyone out and protect his six. He got a bunch of calls. Turn comes a queen. He's like, all right, I check. I give up. And then everyone checks. And then the river makes him top boat. And he bets again for value. Like, a bluff here would be just so insane against three other people. Just he he just never has a bluff here. So I fold my hand. It gets around to the first guy, the guy I thought might be trapping, and he turns over a deuce and he folds it. And the first guy, the the, the original razor wins the pot. He again is forced to show his hand, and he shows a stone ass motherfucking cold bluff right in the eye. He had nothing, and he bluffed us out. I played this hand so terribly, mostly by not betting the turn. I would have gotten it all in with the other guy with the deuce and won a monster pot. Instead, I let myself get bluffed out of a pot where I basically flopped the nuts. I mean, fire me into the goddamn sun is just so, so brutal. I can't believe I did this. Like I said, this hand is so embarrassing. Um, This hand was actually played several months ago, and it's been eating at me ever since. This is maybe one of the worst hands I've ever played. I am just a stone-ass donkey boy. I mean, Jesus Christ. Like, a dumb, blind, freaking monkey could have played my hand and doubled up with it, and I managed to screw it up. I mean, it just sucks to suck. That's all I can say. So, I'd like to say it feels good to get it off my chest, but it really doesn't. Um, I still feel awful. I'm bad and should feel bad and do feel bad. But, uh, but I hope you guys at least found it entertaining. Um, that's going to do it. That's it for the podcast episode two. Thank you for tuning in. If you like the podcast, subscribe to whatever platform you're listening to it on helps out. Be awesome. Other than that, uh, I hope you guys have a great week. We will be back next week and a little bit of a teaser next week. I am going to go over the best bluff that I've ever pulled off in my entire life. Hope you guys like it until next week. Play good and run pure.